During my career in healthcare, I served twice in the C-suite. C means chief or senior leader in an organization. At first, it was a heady experience. Geesh, I'm a real boss. When the honeymoon was over, I noticed that I was mostly talking to the same people, other people in the C-suite, by its nature, a small group. We all knew how the others thought. We understood the pecking order. There's always a pecking order not necessarily related to titles. I craved bringing in new voices, shake things up. Perhaps we would make different decisions listening to other expertise, perspectives, and lived experiences. I never learned to sell that kind of inclusion. Now, as a patient caregiver activist, I strive to bring the voices of end users, patients, caregivers, and point-of-care clinicians to the table. When successful, the conversation and the learning change. In the Person First Safe Living in a Pandemic initiative that I've spoken about and written about on this podcast, we sought voices, expertise, and lived experience different from we privileged academics and professionals. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. For those of you new to person first, safe living in a pandemic, let me fill you in. A small, mighty band of volunteers asked, How can regular people? Our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our cronies find up-to-date, trustworthy answers to questions they have about living safely in a pandemic, finding answers when they have questions in a manner useful to them. Person first means we start with understanding people and hearing their questions and concerns and then looking for the answers. A two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege living with chronic conditions like me, may have different questions, look for answers in different places, and trust different sources than an urban ICU nurse caring for COVID-19 patients while living with his mother with early dementia, or a 30-year-old Muslim mother with sickle cell disease. We quickly found a gap, no, a chasm, between questions people ask and the evidence-informed guidance findable from sources. People, websites, popular and social media, they sought for answers. Layer on the many continuums of trust issues, circumstances, experience, values, preferences, risk tolerance, comfort with uncertainty and critical thinking, and you can feel the problem. When my friend and colleague, Ileana Balku, professor of health communication at the College of New Jersey, TCNJ, invited us to share our project with her undergraduate class we eagerly accepted. Ileana and I have worked together on many informatics, health communication, and patient caregiver activist projects. She's one of my most frequent go-to people. 
Laura Marcial, my partner in crime, and I introduced ourselves in person first safe living in a pandemic to the entire class over two sessions. We asked students to seek answers to questions they had about safe living on the web and enter those resources into our database. Professor Balku offered her students the choice of our initiative as a course project. Four of the 20 students enrolled joined us. Those four designed and executed their project with minimal input from Laura and me. You'll hear Care Against COVID. That's the Instagram channels the students created. You'll also hear TCNJ. That's the College of New Jersey. Laura, what were you expecting when we entered into this working with the college students? What were you hoping for? I was expecting that they might be interested, they might get engaged. I didn't have high expectations about that, but just that we might express some of our enthusiasm interests and spark some excitement in them. And I didn't have a good sense for what they would want to do. But I think the social media angle was in the back of my mind, just having 16 to 20 year old kids in my own house right now. I was hoping only that our database would get populated with resources that college students might find interesting. That was it. Yeah, I was glad that they were enthusiastic about getting the resources populated. I think they thought of that as low hanging fruit, easy to do, easy to get graded for. So I was actually surprised about the level of enthusiasm and the direction they took, Mm -hmm. even those posts. Yeah. But even more surprised that they went beyond that. Four weeks after the students began work and a week before the class ended, Professor Balku invited us back to hear, read, and record their experience and reflections. Laura and I listened for several themes. Why did they choose this communication problem for their project? How did they land on their topics? What was their experience working together on this health communication journey? And how did they surprise themselves over their month's immersion? Of course, we also listened for lessons we might learn from their experience. You'll be hearing from students Thomas Lilja, Evan Scardufa, Michelle Zeran, and Joshua Simpson, and of course, Professor Ileana Balku. How is it that you got to the place of, yeah, I want to participate in this. You had other options. You chose this. Tom, you want to start? When I started living in quarantine, my folks have a lot of pre-existing conditions. My dad, he suffers from diabetes while my mom uh, suffers from hypertension. They obviously took living in quarantine very seriously, as did I, because I didn't want to transmit the disease to my parents. And when I started living in quarantine, I really noticed that I was really having a lot of emotional struggles. And while I wasn't officially diagnosed with it, I felt like that I was suffering from depression because I just didn't really feel all that excited because about 
just stuff anymore because I consider myself a, a very extroverted guy and I thrive off of like human interaction. And because of the pandemic, not only does this mean that I'm not going to be going on campus to study and participate in campus activities, but also because I work as a lifeguard and I absolutely love that job. And because of the pandemic, that really put me out of that job. And that meant that last summer I couldn't go over to the pool lifeguard and have a good time with my friends. Just given everything that I've dealt with over the past couple months, I just really wanted to help other people if they were struggling with living in quarantine too. So I figured that by doing this, by partaking in the safe living during the pandemic initiative, it could really help make the most out of living in quarantine. That means providing mental health apps, forms of telecommunication so that People aren't physically going to their doctor during the pandemic, just small stuff like that. I was just really hoping that by like signing on to do this project and by promoting different forms of health communication to safely live during the pandemic, I can not only do my part to help stop the transmission of COVID-19, but also help people who might be emotionally struggling during the pandemic too. I like that. You know, what I'm also hearing in what you say is that there were benefits for you personally as well in terms of your satisfaction with life and your your school experience like i know that one of the reasons i podcast is i'm a selfish guy and it's meaningful work for me i think that when you can combine your, your stuff that you know helps you personally and then helps the larger community and your family that's a win so thank you for that evan how about you yeah personally for me this time during the pandemic was probably the most stressful time i've ever been in my whole entire life just pressure on pressure from school and family and just everything going to find jobs and getting out and even managing relationships I felt was very difficult during COVID because you have people that oh don't really take it so seriously and then you have people that take it really seriously so I felt like I've definitely lost some friendships from the pandemic not seeing people as much but then also you really find out who's close to you by connecting online so it's really just a big adjustment and also like with everybody else i'm sure i'm not the only one going through that so i think it's very important to spread like the kind of awareness and tools to use to stay sane during this time it's very difficult so my part in the care against covid instagram account was to get a better understanding of what others think as well and seeing if there's any other anybody else that's like me and wondering what can I do to help myself and what can I do to help my family. So with that being the main idea for my part, I decided to base my experience and like everything I understood through the Instagram polls. So I would make sure I put stuff that were interactive, seeing who was able to give me responses if anyone had questions or concerns that they would like to know more about. I was able to help get responses, do some research as needed. Was there a specific topic that you were covering or was it general, what do you want to know about COVID? Mine was, what are you doing to help your, like help yourself and your family? What precautions are you taking personally or what precautions can you take to help someone else? 
just I wear a mask to protect you. That was like my whole thing. I asked Josh if food insecurity was an issue for him. I want to ask a totally different kind of question. I'm interested in the food insecurity angle that you took. So do you think that students that are not going to class, meaning they're not going to a cafeteria or something, that there is more food insecurity in quarantine time than there is usually as a student? I would say so, yeah. I know that there's a lot of students who depend on ICONF and the students that are like, it's a different experience than them back home um, yeah. from large family models where they might be like one of seven children in the house yeah. um, or some people don't have necessarily a really secure living environments going from house to house, possibly homeless. So the resources provided on campus is it's huge for kids like that. Yeah. Even for me back home, not saying that I'm not living in a secure household, but even still, I'm not like a chef. I don't really cook food that often. And so there's a lot of healthy options here that aren't necessarily readily available for me back home. And they're affordable in a sense. For students, on a large picture, I can definitely see food security being a really pertinent issue that they're not necessarily thinking about. Like it's not one of the more surface area issues, but it's definitely one that affects everybody in every sense. Yeah, especially if kids go to school and they're not going to school and they don't get their breakfast. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Interesting. Thank you. The students chose to select a different name for their Instagram channel. Not person first safe living in a pandemic, but rather care against COVID. I'm the person that came up with the name Care Against COVID, as well as the logo where it's the guy giving the thumbs up wearing the mask. That guy asset wasn't created by me. It was just an asset that I found on Canva that I used for creating the logo. Coming up with Care Against COVID, I was just brainstorming over the recharge week that we had instead of spring break. An earlier name idea was like Care Against Corona, but uh, I, I didn't go with that because it didn't really sound all that good. Not to mention, it could also cause copyright concerns with the people that make Corona beer. So after (laughs) doing some thinking, uh, I decided to modify it to Care Against COVID. It was just such a simple name because it's memorable and it gets the point across of what we're trying to do. I think the having against is really good. That's a good bridge word. It's got meat. Right. It's funny you do mention that because I made a conscious effort to pick against instead of like for, because when you say care for COVID, it sounds like that you're for COVID-19, which is obviously not the case. So by saying care against COVID, it, it does make a very clear and explicit statement that we are very much against the spread against COVID-19 and what we're doing is to help promote that agenda. Yeah, it's great. Ileana, what about you? What do you want to ask? I want to ask how you guys work together. So did you guys run into any problems or it just went smoothly, like any as opposite to any other project? I think at first one of our problems was trying to decide when to post and what hours our viewers were active the most. So we posted a couple of times in the afternoon and it wouldn't get the most likes or views. 
But then we figured out that from about six o'clock to 12 o'clock at night, that was our largest audience ship. So when we posted then, our posts started getting more interactions on them. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and to sort of piggyback off of that, when it comes to my own personal problems, one of the, the things that we encountered earlier on during the project is figuring out like who was doing what, because I was under the impression that we were all going to be making regular Instagram posts. It was just really hard to coordinate like when we would be posting what. We decided to assign roles where I would be making the regular posts. Joshua, I think, would be handling the analytical side of things. And then Michelle and Evan would be handling the story posts. Uh, I also did have a lot of struggles figuring out what would be a good frequency to post. During the first week, I was making uh, regular posts on a daily basis. And of course, there's the concern that what we're doing might get old to our audience. We decided that for the second week, it would be a matter of focusing more on story posts instead of regular posts. And that was a huge detriment to our interactions. So eventually we decided that for the third and fourth weeks, we would be doing a mix of, of like Po normal posts and story posts every other day. It took a while, and but we eventually got there, and I'm glad we were able to figure out a schedule that works best for us. Yeah, thank you. So you guys set up this Instagram account. You started populating it. How did you get to the place of deciding that was the, the channel that you were going to develop to communicate? My focus was more on college-age students. I think that's like the best thing for me to focus on right now. Most college students have an Instagram account. Instagram really was able to reach out to the TCNJ community in specific and also college-age students, not really having anybody heard about it even before. And it's not like we're on campus to spread awareness of the page. Thomas, I don't know if you want to add on to that. I originally wanted to aim for an older audience as far as the campaign went. But I was also perfectly fine with doing Instagram too, because even though a heavy amount of college students use Instagram, of course, there's still middle-aged uh, middle and elderly folk who also use the platform as well. While there is the, the bias towards college students, I still think it's very important that we get the message out regardless because COVID-19 has affected the lives of so many different people of so many different age groups. The posts you did are really engaging. Frankly, I was surprised how polished it looked. When you described the amount of time you spent on it, I thought that the, the polish and the quantity of what you were able to include really pleasantly surprised me. Did you already know how to do all this? How did, you get, how did it get to look so polished? You're talking about the normal posts, not the story posts, right? This social media campaign was a real learning curve for me because when it came to working on campaigns beforehand, I used either Google Drawings and uh, the publishing tool that comes with Mac computers, Apple Pages. The funny thing about both of these apps is that they represent two, two vastly different sides of the graphic design spectrum. Like with Google Drawings, it represents the side of the spectrum that's incredibly primitive and doesn't really have a lot of power. Meanwhile, with Apple Pages, the program is so powerful with what you can do with it, it isn't really worth 
wasting your time using this program on making something like Instagram posts. One of our classmates who was also running a campaign told me about this great little website called Canva, where you can pick pre-made templates for Instagram posts and you can modify them to your liking. Uh, I, I, I found an Instagram post template. I modified it so that it could fit with the campaign design that fit Care Against COVID, just simply modified it and then added information about health apps that I would find via research into these post templates. And then after that, it's just a matter of showing it to a couple of other people to see what they think, downloading said posts and then airdropping them into my phone, which I would then post onto Instagram. Great. How about you, Evan? Yeah, Tom did a really great job with that, actually. I've only heard of Canva one other time, and I wasn't the best user with it. But I mainly focused on reposting stuff to our stories, either from the CDC or the World Health Organization, just for a quick little read, because their information is really great also. And since I'm not the best with creating posts, I figured that would be a great way to spread information as well. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. Laura and I asked about the questions students asked about COVID. What are other ways can I work towards protecting other people, even though I'm already vaccinated? What research has already started to be being conducted to see if children will eventually be eligible? to receive vaccines. How do you feel that you're taking like the step in getting vaccinated? I got responses for being that it it just makes my family feel safer. Eventually, like the quicker everyone gets vaccinated, the quicker we can return to normalcy. Did you have any fun doing it? I did. I liked being able to see how everyone felt. I did even ask questions about if you aren't vaccinated, what is your reason to not be not to not wanting to get vaccinated. And it just said I enjoyed getting a different point of view, even though I may have not agreed with it, it still allowed for me to understand why people think the way they think as well. What what was your personal growth in this? So what did you learn? What happened? Are you happy that you participated? Do you feel a purpose from this? Yeah, I would say possibly like sharing resources with other students or even friends. Because I know say if you're going through something and then you don't know who else is going through it because people usually hide that pretty well. So even just like putting that information out there, I think is a great thing to do. Yeah, I really learned how to synergize with a team when it comes to like running a campaign because I've actually done a social media campaign before as part of my communication degree. That was done completely by myself. By doing this campaign with other people, I was able to 
really learn how to do a project of this sort of caliber where it's a commitment over a long period of time. The previous campaign that I ran for my social media class was about my pets. And of course, that's all good and fun. But at the same time, though, it really doesn't seem all that serious. And it doesn't exactly seem like something that would be good for a portfolio to show to a potential employer. By doing Care Against COVID, I feel like that not only I was able to come up with a lot of great content that looks professional, but also is serious and could be beneficial to someone who is who is struggling with something very serious as well. Thank you. Did you feel that any of the work helped bridge generational gaps, questions or responses, the way you posted, anything like that? Yes, I did. Because I, I realized that most people who responded had been people in college and were concerned for their families. So even their grandparents, like I even saw aunts concerned for their nieces and nephews. It seemed to be helpful in understanding like everyone from different age groups and even like generations has the same like idea of what they want and what they're doing is to protect everyone, not just themselves. Josh shared graphics that 80% women follow the account, proportionate to TCNJ, demographics of 60-40 women to male ratio. Women perhaps are more interested in COVID-relating issues. About 120 people followed the account in a week. I'm always interested in the data because as a podcaster and somebody on social media, Mostly I found, find the data helps me almost not at all. I never know what does it mean? Why should I care? So what was it you were looking at? What were the things that made sense to you to look at? So Instagram provides a set amount of free data metrics, three of which are very important for assessing like how your engagement rate is and what audience you're reaching out to. So the one I was most interested in was reach which is similar to another data metric called impression, which Instagram provides. And an impression is essentially if a viewer looks at an Instagram post, they swipe down, scroll at it, that's an impression. For a smaller campaign like ours, it's pretty good to see who exactly um, is accounting for the reach to understand like what audience we should be looking out to spread out more to or to target more. Were there any other data surprises you want to call out for us? Things that you didn't expect to see or were pleased to see? Uh, you can obviously see that there's one post that reached an extraordinarily large amount of people than everyone else, and that's the April 13th post. And that, that was which one? The April 13th post. What was that one about? Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Thomas posted that, and it was... Interesting because it was current news. All the other ones were more just like uh, resources and all these other um, relevant issues. But this was like a huge current news event. Um, and that's probably why it spiked so much because mm -hmm. it was such a large event and a lot of people could relate to it. I've never thought about what time to post. I, I post what's convenient to me. So now you got me thinking about that. 
for timing was so important because that's when we received like a certain amount. Even when I was putting my polls out, I made sure that it was by 6 p.m. on a certain day because that's when you notice you'd have the most views or when people are most active on the social media. Interesting. Also, to add on to the point of timing, I felt like it was really tedious to, to do necessarily what I wanted to implement originally. But um, in addition to the timing of when to post, the timing of what to post as well, uh, certain things bring certain attention throughout the day. I remember reading an article saying specifically social justice issues. So like food security, for some reason, had blowing up on Saturday at 3 a.m. It's crazy how people have done these huge data metric analysis of all the different sort of topics and like when they get the most attention. I find it pretty interesting to see that people have, for some reason, some set form of more attention towards different topics at different times of the day. So larger accounts, if you're really trying to get that retention, I'd say focusing on when to post and what to post at certain times of the day. So how did working on this project together, how was it difficult? And also how was it rewarding that you guys worked together? It was difficult in the aspect where we couldn't meet together and we couldn't brainstorm and put our posts together and our thoughts. So it was hard because everyone now has such different schedules and being that we're so far apart, it just conflicted in like our ideas. I think that we could have done even better if we were together and in person. So how did you guys communicate? We communicated through GroupMe, as well as I know some people were able to meet on Zoom. Most of the time, we were consistently texting on GroupMe, whether it was like, hey, I'm throwing a post up today, or make sure no one posts anything because I want to post something on the Instagram story. Because we wanted to make sure when we put our post out for the day, it was going to attract the most viewers. So we made sure it was like not too much going back to back. Great. How could, how do you think you might use this experience in a year? Personally, I think with this understanding or experience, using it more towards posting media, if I decide to do an internship with like media aspect or even like a health aspect, I'll have a better understanding in how to conduct research. Like after seeing the forms that we would fill out and you gave us resources on how to understand like whether or not we trust this source and if it's reliable to us Mm -hmm. that's something that i can bring with me later on even not just even next year but like for my career and when researching something you made my day (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you josh what about you definitely learning from like the difficulties of just getting an audience for one i feel like that's probably the hardest part people that already have audiences in place can easily start side projects and get a huge following immediately like nike were to do something in the side they immediately get a million people interested but for us people don't know about us we're starting from nothing learning how to gauge audience retention and attraction i feel like that'd be pretty helpful in any sort of thing i'm doing in the future with getting people to get involved and interested this is awesome especially with what joshua just said that it was my idea to throw you guys my students in the water and have you publish things because i'm sure you were very scared when you tried to do this but then you notice that things are very slow and it takes a while and you need to make changes and I hope that by now you are more prepared to start doing something like this. And I'm sure each one of you 
learned at least one new skill, how to use Canva or analytics on Instagram or anything else. I, I heard each of you learn something new. So I'm very happy. And I'm also happy to have had Danny and Laura work with us this semester. And so how is it, guys, to work with students? Did we help you? <laughs> you want to take that, Laura? Sure. Yeah, totally. I think it was great to hear about your process. We shared some of your thoughts and your experiences with the the broader group. We've been trying to create some surface area in the tools we've built, and this only extended that. It gives us a chance to say to other organizations doing something similar, hey, look, this can be done. It looks, it could look like this. It can be pretty powerful, even with a small intervention. So not too heavy a lift. I think we've reached the point where we're thinking about what the future holds for this kind of safe living care against COVID. And it gives us an opportunity to show a portfolio of work that that touches lots of different aspects of where we were going with this trust label and this concept that people have trouble assessing resources and trying to prioritize them for use as it applies to them individually. So it just seems like a great extension of the work. And it's nice to to reach out into this, into a, a group or a generation that is directly affected in so many ways, but maybe not as directly impacted by the complications of COVID. So anyway, it's important to say and really appreciate it. Now we've done this. And what do you think we should take away from this experience? How do you think this informs, first, our safe living project, but also the work you and I do is about person-first clinical decision support, which this is only like a little playground for. So what do you think? What have you learned for us immediately and for the larger picture? I guess I'll answer from a usability standpoint. They answered some questions about how user-friendly our form is, how we approached the trust label, the way in which we're capturing that metadata that we think is so crucial to logging and managing these resources. That was interesting to me in a very discreet way. I think they also answered the question that this problem has touched every age, every generation, that COVID is a hyper example of that. But it drew, I think, our attention back to the fact that we're on to something. There is a big gap here and that it needs to be filled. Their desire and enthusiasm probably was in response to our enthusiasm, but also they could see the connections they personally have had to make between generations, looking out for their own parents or their grandparents, trying to think about ways that they live in their own social bubble right now and how to get outside of it. I think those were all great, great pieces of information for us. More often than not, they reinforced that this is something important. And so in the larger, this whole idea of person-first clinical decision support, what do you think, what's yeah, the I, lesson for that? We keep trying to bite off little pieces of this problem because the problem is so unwieldy. And one thing that we were able to do and make a connection on is that this idea of trust 
and this idea of critical thinking skills that people bring to the table or don't, and that they need to be refined and changed over time, and that they might be more <clears throat> accessible from a computable standpoint than most of us assume they are. We close the loop on some of those things where COVID's concerned, using it as a, a hyper example. I think that it draws us back to what did we learn when we asked the question, can we accelerate the movement from evidence to guideline to implemented CDS? I think we've continued to think about that. We've learned more about how to communicate in a way which normal people can relate to. I think that experience with the students helped us see that from the mm -hmm. outside with this group of young people. I think our reflection now is in what struck a nerve, what struck a chord with them, hit a nerve and made them feel that they could play a role, that they could express their own concerns or interests, that they could follow through on those and that they could reach out to a broader community with what they learned. Those are pretty amazing steps we took with them. So I guess I'm just saying that it's still an unwieldy problem. It still needs to be compartmentalized so we can figure out how to communicate. What is this thing that we call person-first TDS? What does it look like? How does it work? But but we made some steps in, in trying to understand the problem better. Mm -hmm. I wish we could take 30 microcosms just be as varied as we can imagine. Even if we just think about the personas and trying to find small groups of people who would get a reward like credits and see where they would go with this. You and I, we're smart, and we are thinking outside the box, and I also think we don't know crap. At the end of the day. At the yes. end of the day, we don't know crap. And I feel like what I have predicted that these kids in four weeks could put together some pretty polished thing. Yeah. That in a grant might have cost a hundred thousand. Exactly. Did it like four people in a week on Zoom or whatever platform they used? Agreed. I think they were also so excited about how they could use this experience where they have applied themselves to a real world problem for their own growth and development, putting yes. it on resumes, selling it yes. to potential employers. As one that was what was it that Tom said? It wasn't about pets, exactly, <laughs> which is what he'd done before. Or this was like he or... said, "This is real. This is important." Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just fun, even though it was fun. Yeah, and they found right. They found themselves engaged for yeah. reasons that mattered to them, which I think is that's great. I'm delighted that we can walk the talk. Our student partners listened and then followed their own noses. Different voices, different approaches. I'm proud of us all. So what's our ask? What's next? We, small mighty band of volunteers, offer a gift to someone ready to take over from here. 
Find funding, replicate, or modify the person-first approach. Develop a mechanism for crowdsourced building of findable, trusted resources. Test an automated algorithm for generating trust labels. Perhaps our work rings a bell, and you can use it to augment whatever work you're on to help regular people find answers to their questions about safe living, when they need them, where they look, in a manner they can use. We also welcome invitations to tell you more about our work and our process. Contact us at info at safeliving.tech. Onward. See you around the block. Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.